0: tonight uh we're going to talk about regeneration as part of our Christianity 101 here actually two two topics in one re- regeneration and conversion i'm going to start in ezekiel ezekiel 36 got several passages in mind here we'll see how far we get but ezekiel 36 to start with all right so first of all what is re- regeneration let me let me just kind of describe it Couple of ways here. Um, first of all, it's a it's a <clears throat> it's a sovereign act of God um, upon the human soul. So, so when we talk about regeneration, I mean that's important to note up front that we're not talking about something that we do. We're talking about something that is done to us. Regeneration is a is a divine acting upon the soul. It's a sovereign act of God. Um, later, um, I just mentioned this because I'm not, I'm not trying to jump ahead, but just to, just to show, you know, some of these things, you, there are different ways of looking at them. So, um, and, and that's why I'm making the, the, the point of describing it that way here. Regeneration is, a, is a, a, an act of God upon us. Well, later when we get to justification... That, that doesn't even in, involve us in any direct sense. Um, it, it's about us. It's not even on us. It's about us. Justification is a, uh, is a uh, declaration. It's, you know, it's forensic in nature, so it's like a legal, a legal declaration about us, but it's not something that happens in us or on us or any, anything like that. But here, regeneration is. It's, it is God acting on us. And, uh, again, I stress that, that it's God acting because (coughs) this is, uh, as I said, not something that we do. And it's also, I would describe it this way too, it is a radical change. It is a radical change. You know, I can't can't help sometimes when I think about this to think about, uh, I mean, it sounds kind of silly or whatever, but I remember R.F. Gates saying, um, you know, if you swallowed a stick of dynamite, would it make a difference in your life? Um, well, <laughs> you know, that sounds kind of foolish, but yet that's the way we, we, we treat the Lord sometimes. You know, people talk about becoming a Christian, being a believer, um, and yet um, little talk about any kind of difference in, in their life or any kind of meaningful difference. Well, when, when genuine regeneration occurs... Uh, it, 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 it is a radical change. It brings about a radical change. It is a radical change. I mean, is God making a radical change on us? And I use the term radical because, I mean, to the, to the root, to the core, uh, God changes us. So the, it becomes true, like Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 5, um, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things passed away, behold, all things become new. That's a radical change. I mean some something actually takes place. Well, what takes place? Let's get some of God's own description here, starting in in uh, ezekiel thirty six and this is a, of course a, uh, a a prophecy looking forward to the to the uh, the new covenant, but it deals with the, uh, the new birth here. And let me start uh, in verse <clears throat> verse twenty two kind of set this up. Verse 22, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-two. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Now, there's, there's some parallels here. God's talking about um, um, bringing about restoration in Israel. Uh, you know, they've, they've profaned his name, and he's, and he's saying, I'm about to act, and I'm about to do this thing that we're fixing to, to read about. And he's talking about gathering them out from among the nations and restoring them to their, to their, uh, to their land. And, and notice here, he says, I do this for my name's sake. Again, in verse 22, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. And then he goes on to say, so that the nations will know, it's in verse 23, so that the nations will know, that I am the Lord. So he's saying, I'm doing these things so that the 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 nations will know that I am the Lord. I'm doing it for my own name's sake. declares declares the Lord God. Uh, then he goes on in verse 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And here we go, right here. Now, like I said, there's there's some parallels, and what we're about to talk about here, the spiritual new birth, it's the same. It, same reasoning behind it. In other words, God's doing it for his own glory. Um, we were in sin, you know, rebels, and God is, um, is, is acting to bring us out to, to new life for his own glory and so that the nations may know that he is Lord. It's a testimony to his own um, greatness and grace. So here's what he's going to do, he says, in verse 24. Um, I'm sorry, verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your unrighteousness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart. And, so, and already you notice, by the way, in, in verse 25 that that we're talking about radical change. No more idols. He says, I'm going to cleanse you, and I'm going you, you'll be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. So we're already we're talking about... <clears throat> Radical change. And then he goes on, verse 26. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. So again, he says. I'm going to take out the stony heart and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. This is a a much different way than the the way in which Paul uses the term flesh in Romans. So um, don't let it trip you up here. I mean, he's not talking about sinfulness here. He's just talking about um, a a soft heart as opposed to a hard heart. I'm going to remove the heart of stone, he says, and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, he's going to give us... a uh, <coughs> a soft heart, <clears throat> and I will put my spirit within you. Verse twenty-seven, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. So he says, you're gonna, you're gonna. And this is what they have not been doing, by the way. He's saying you're gonna, you're gonna be obedient. I'm gonna put my spirit in you, put a new spirit in you and cause you to walk in my rules. In other words, you're, you're going to obey my word. You're going to be obedient because now you've got a heart that is soft toward me and toward my ways um, where you used to have a heart that was hard. That's a radical change because <clears throat> even the term heart here is not it's not talking about our the organ inside of us. That sounded pretty good. I hit that. Almost sounded like a heart, didn't it? Sound effects. All right. <coughs> it's not talking about the organ inside of us. Um, it's talking about um, who we are you know the core, our core being. It's kind of hard to describe sometimes, but I mean <laughs> who we are um, our our physical body is part of that, but it's not all of it so so when we talk about you know who we are, it's more than just um, you know what what our s- skin shade is or what our hair color is and eye color and all that kind of stuff. Or even, plow. Well, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it's a good way to say it. Yeah, Amen. Because because you know that's that's what they were not. That's why he called them a stiff necked people. Yeah. Well, I never? I, you know. Well, I mean, you know, you you, you understand something, but when you when you um, see it illustrated really well, then it brings it home, right? And and when we had horses, uh, that. That phrase "stiff-necked" really came to life (laughs) because that (laughs) uh, he made it pliable. pliable. Well, Amen. So he took he he, he took the physical part, made it pliable, Amen. And God takes the (coughs) the internal part and makes it pliable. But, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good way to say it, I think. Um, and that's what a horse will do once they are in submission. They, they, you know, because what they do to, to show their resistance is stiffen up their neck. You, you can do so, a simple little test like just next time you're around a horse and <coughs> just, just place your hand on the back of their neck and you'll feel them do that number, you know, stiffen up and resist your hand. And They do that naturally, I mean you know because they they don't like being um bossed you know pushed around <laughs> so so you know somebody that's working with them training them and, I mean, for the purpose of bringing them into submission, that's one of the things you wanna kill right there so that when you when you touch them when you um want them to do something they're they're pliable like like bob was saying, and they and they they've been to that and and it it's uh, it's pretty neat Pretty neat. But yeah, that, that that gave it a whole new light for me or a reality. <clears throat> I mean, I knew I was stiff necked, but then I got to see it, you know, working in an animal. Like the, the, the analogy lived out there. All right, so <coughs> he says um, the, the end of all of this is you shall, verse 28, you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And here it is and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. I mean, that's, that's what he's doing with them. I'm going to put my spirit in you, put a new spirit in you, you're going to obey my word, and you're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God. And the way that he, again, the way that he brings that about, the way that he brings the obedience about, the way that he brings about this proper relationship, you'll be my people, and I'll be your God. You know, the suggestion is you'll be in submission to my lordship. The way that he brings that about is by putting a new spirit in them and by putting his own spirit in them. I will put my spirit in you. I will put a new spirit within you. That's what we're talking about tonight. <clears throat> That's the born again, what we, what we commonly refer to as the born again experience. Regeneration. I, I've, I've been saying that. <clears throat> There's several ways to, to refer to this. <clears throat> this is one of the main ones. The term regeneration. Now, we'll we'll get to a passage in a minute. You know, a lot of times we use the term born again. That's another way of saying it. That's that's what we're talking about. Regeneration. God God imparts life to us. There's a great illustration of this in chapter 37, Ezekiel 37. um, The valley of dry bones. Look at verse 1. The hand hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. In other words, Ezekiel's looking at a whole valley full of dead, dry bones. And he said to me, verse 3, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, and I answered, O oh Lord God, you know. And it's God asking Ezekiel, can these, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, Lord, you know. And then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you And you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied, verse 7, I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied there was a sound and behold a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. Now, the prophecy there uh, is concerning the nation of Israel, and God is, just, just as he said back in 36, he's raising them up out of, uh, from among the nations and restoring them. But <clears throat> there's, a, there's a great picture there, um, I think, of, w- of what we're talking about tonight. Again, what God does when, when he saves someone, um, we, we go from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive, and it's by the, the power of God. Note, note, through the preaching of the Word and by the power of the Spirit of God. Notice that he tells Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones, these dead, dry bones. And you think, well, what use, what use is that? You know, Preaching to the bone, commanding the bone. But the Lord says, do it. Ezekiel prophesied of these bones. And and they begin to rattle and shake and come together, but then they're still not alive. There's no breath in them. And the Lord tells Ezekiel to call for the wind. Pro- prophesy, prophesy, call for the breath, uh, son of man, calls Ezekiel son of man. And then uh, he does, and God sends it, and, and, uh, and life comes in these dead, dry bones that have now um, been covered with... Um, Muscle and ligaments and flesh, and you know they they become living bodies again. Well, that's a, that's a there's a great picture there, of what happens with us spiritually. You know, we're dead in trespasses and sins, Paul says, and then God makes us alive. He he puts just like we saw in chapter thirty six, he puts his spirit in us, and uh, puts a new spirit in, in uh, within us. Go to John three. Here's a real familiar passage. Here's Jesus talking to uh, Nicodemus and and about the uh, about <coughs> regeneration is what we're is what it is. He uses different terminology, but that's that's the idea here. Verse one. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, notice that, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All right? I mean, point one thing out real quick here, um, that, that Jesus does not say. It, a lot of times it almost gets, it seems like it gets understood this way a lot, but this is. But he does not say. Uh, what, what was the first thing uh, that I said? Anybody remember what the first thing I said about regeneration? What, what is regeneration? What was the first description I gave a while ago? Yes, sovereign act of God, right? What Jesus does not say here is, Nicodemus, you need to born yourself again or something like that, you know. Nicodemus, um, get born again. He doesn't say that. Or we could use our term here. Nicodemus, regenerate, you know. He doesn't say that. I mean, Jesus is giving a a fact about the new birth, he's not commanding Nicodemus to be born again. Nicodemus cannot <laughs> say, okay, I'll be born again. No, nobody can. Um, it's an act of God. It's a sovereign act of God. Now, what Jesus is doing is stating a fact about it, about the kingdom of, kingdom of God in particular. He's talking about the new birth and the process. Um, but here's what he says. Again, in verse uh, <clears throat> verse three, truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. See, he just made, he just states a fact. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of of God. Um, can't perceive it as the idea there, or, or or participate in it. You know, sometimes scripture will use language like. Um, like Jesus said of the disciples, um, uh, trying to think where, you, you'll, you'll use language like you, you, talking about seeing death, for example, or, or tasting of death. The idea is participation. You know, Jesus said to the disciples, some of you will not taste of death or not see death until, um, some of you will not taste of death until, until you see the kingdom of God. So the term see there is the idea of, of participating in it. And 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 that's the uh, the the idea here to to perceive it or to participate in it. Unless a man is born again, he cannot participate in the kingdom of God, or he cannot even perceive of the kingdom of God. But that's just a fact. He, you know, he doesn't tell him to do anything. He, he's just stating a fact. All right. Um, that's right. Because he's dead. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like asking uh, someone who's physically blind, um, you know, what what shade pink is that that Leslie's wearing? Well, they can't, you know, they can't discern that. All right, and then he says essentially the same thing again. Um, verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So he's clear. You can't enter the kingdom of God. You can't see the kingdom of God unless you've been born. And notice the first time in verse 3, he, he uh, um, and I'm looking at the ESV here, and it, it translates it born again. Has anybody got a different uh, rendering there, like, like born from above or something like that? Okay, good. Obviously, for some reason, I was thinking the NIV said <coughs> "born from above." Anyway, either way is good. Um, from from above is is uh, uh, I would say likely what Jesus is getting at. Notice, um, well, let me just point this out. Notice, notice the the way that Nicodemus takes it as as meaning born again, because he says. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? So he's thinking about being born again, right? How, how can you do that when you're old? You know, he doesn't say, How can I be born from above? So that's certainly the way Nicodemus takes it. But um, whether Jesus means it to be understood born again or born from above is, is unclear. The word can mean from above. <clears throat> but, like I say, either way... Um, it it's still, it's still it still is being born again even if even if uh because you were born once physically and then you're born again spiritually so so even if he means born from above it still is to be born again um and I'm looking for a passage here tell you why I'm why I'm saying what I'm saying the passage I had in mind is mark 15:38 curtain this is of course when Jesus was crucified curtain of the temple was torn in two from Above, it's the same word, the same word that Jesus uses in John 3. From above to the bottom. Um, So, um, like I said, either way, both are true. Um, Because even if Jesus meant it to be understood, born from above, (coughs) it it still is being born again. Because we've been born once physically and now uh, we're born again spiritually. Even if it's meant to be understood as born again, it is, still is, as Bob just said, a birth from above because it's 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 uh, of the Lord. So um, it can it can be understood. And one reason I mentioned that, I, in fact, I, I really thought, um, uh, as I said, I was thinking the NIV had translated that way. But I, one reason I mentioned that was because you you may run into that in uh, some some of the translations. But but it it's good either way. So. Born again is a, is a term that we're all really familiar with, but that's just another way of describing. In fact, that's a, that's a metaphor, you know, birth. Uh, another way of describing what we're talking about here, which is regeneration. In other words, God God making us alive, granting new life. And without that, there's no seeing the kingdom of God. There's no participating in the kingdom of God. Or as he says in verse 5, there's no entering the the kingdom of God without being born again. And notice again how he just states that. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, verse 3. Verse 5, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 7, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. In other words, it's necessary, Jesus is saying. Don't marvel that I'm telling you that it's necessary that you are born again. And then he goes on to describe it uh, like the working of the wind in verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The sovereign act of God, right? God does it. So, So Jesus is not telling him, go do it, But he is saying it's necessary. Unless you're born again, you can't see, participate in, enter in the kingdom of heaven. Well, what is the new birth, or how does it come about? How do, 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 you know, It might be questions going through Nicodemus' mind. So Jesus gives some description in verse 8, basically saying it's a sovereign act of God. Jesus says, it's like the wind. The wind blows where it wills. You don't see where it's coming from or where it's going. Um, You see the effects, but you don't have any control over it. In fact, you can't even um, really discern its origins. And Jesus says, this is the way it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, (coughs) He's, he's a little more clearer there. Um, and, 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 you know, he's used the term born uh, again or born from above or, or just born in verse 5, born of, of spirit. Or, I'm sorry, born in, in verse 5. But, but what kind of birth are we talking about? Of the spirit, right? In verse 5 and then here again in verse 7. So that's what the, the, the new birth is. It's the work of the Holy Spirit uh, imparting life us it is being born of the spirit okay let's flip over to Ephesians 2 Ephesians 2 1 and you of course now um, Paul Paul is um, talking about um, regeneration here describing it this way you were dead (coughs) verse 1 in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out... Now there he's using flesh and, and referring to sinfulness. The passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, notice he <laughs> he brings that up again, we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. There it is, there's regeneration. That is, even when we were dead, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, that's why he goes on to say, by grace you've been saved, and, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, so there it is, and I like the old King James word quicken there, but that's the idea. Quicken means to make alive. Make alive. You hath He quickened. That is, he, he made you alive. That's regeneration. He imparted life. And I won't take time to go there tonight, but if you go, if you, if you, I, I love using John 11 as, uh, to illustrate it as well, the account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead because there you got a, a, a perfect picture of salvation. Lazarus is in the tomb. He's, he's gone. He's, in fact, he's far gone. Um, I mean, a whole lot worse. Y'all, y'all hear about this guy last week that woke up in the body bag? <clears throat> they thought he was gone, but he wasn't that far. He wasn't as far gone as they thought he was, um, huh? He wasn't, thinking. he wasn't stinking yet. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, I guess he was dead, but he, but he, uh, or at least they say he was. But he came back um, <laughs> at the funeral home in the body bag. They, they were. They were preparing to embalm him, and and they noticed the bag kicking, and uh, and so, so. <laughs> well, hey, I mean you know, it's 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 they got him out, it's better than <laughs> better than the alternative where they you know they just ignore him or whatever. You got a story to tell? Yeah, they were telling it, him and his family. Oh, oh, oh. No, they didn't they didn't mention anything like that, but but uh, he was just glad to be alive. He was, they showed they showed him in the ho- in the hospital bed, um, sitting up there. Uh, he died at home. I don't know how long it took. I mean, I I've, I've seen this done. I mean, I've been through I I've, I've, he, he it takes a while for the coroner to go through. I've I've, I've seen this done. Um, he he died at home. The coroner, they called the coroner, the coroner came pronounced him dead, d- did all of his stuff. Put him in the body bag, zipped him up, and, and then he and um, another guy from the funeral home took him, or I don't think he, the coroner went, but the guy from the funeral home took him to the funeral home. And, you know, they brought him in, put him on the table. When they're, when they're put the bag on the table with him in it, when they're preparing stuff to uh, embalming, that's when they noticed the bag moving. Uh, no, that's what I said, yeah. And they, they, they called the corner and they called 911 and, uh, and got him out. But um, at any rate, um, he wasn't, you know, and I wasn't like really trying to be fu- funny, but it's just, just an amazing story. But, but that shows you he wasn't so far gone. Uh, Lazarus was gone four days, smelling already because of decomposure and everything. And um, Jesus imparted life to him. Now, that's a... See, the guy in the body bag on the table, that that would not be a good illustration of our salvation because, as I said, he wasn't that far gone. Lazarus is a great illustration of our salvation because we had no hope, period, zilch. So Jesus comes to the tomb and calls him. We talked about that last week, election. Election. Being called, um, at what, actually, election takes place prior to that. But at some point in time, God actually calls us out of the world uh, to Himself, and so you, get a, you got a picture of that. You know, Jesus calling Lazarus out of the tomb. Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus does just like we just saw in Ezekiel thirty-six. The Lord said, "You're going to, you're going to obey my my rule. You're going to keep my rules." In other words, you're going to obey my voice. You're going to obey my command. You're going to do my will. Um, You're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God. Well, when Jesus calls Lazarus, he gets up and comes out. He obeys Christ because he's got life now. He's not not dead, and so he comes to Christ. But, you know, I was just using that as a picture of how God calls us uh, from the tomb of our sin. And let me say this, too, because I want to be clear. When we talk about... Sometimes we kind of, um, what's the term I'm looking for? You know, we, 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 we think too much like, I uh, can't think of it. I'm drawing a blank here, but uh, just too, too uh, mysterious of a, of a, you know, when we talk about God imparting life to the human soul, now he does. Um, there is literal, um, spiritual, eternal life. You know, we're going to live forever. That means we'll be in the presence of Christ. You know, in other words, life. To know, to have life is to know Him, right? That is eternal life. John, seventeen, three. This is eternal life that they may know You, the One True God, and Jesus Christ, whom You sent. John seventeen, three. That's Jesus' own description of eternal life. Um, but when we talk about God, okay, He He imparts life to a dead sinner. Paul Paul says, "You were dead in trespasses and sin." He made you alive. He quickened you. He made you alive. What are we talking about there? Well, it's, it's, it, I mean, is there something, um, we can't say physical because it's a spiritual happening, but is there, is there something you know, tangible going on there? Well, what's going on there is a rebel is being brought into submission. That's what we mean by life. That's what we saw in, in Ezekiel 36. What did, what did he tell the Jews? You're going to keep my word, and you're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God. So what's happening is, that's, it's, it's the radical change that we're talking about. What happens is he's, he's taking a, a, a rebel it's, it's, it, and turning them into a, um, a child, uh, turning, bringing them, them into submission. So that, that's what we mean by, by life, by God granting life or by being born again. The, 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 the Holy Spirit overcomes our rebelliousness, brings us into uh, obedience to Christ. It, it's not that, the, that you're dead in the sense that you, 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 you couldn't, like a, like a physical body's dead, they're not capable of anything. So what does it mean to be spiritual de- spiritually dead? Well, it doesn't mean that you weren't capable of anything. Paul, in fact, Paul says, "Go back to Ephesians two, verse one. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you walked. You were walking. <laughs> now, I know he's using that uh, again as a metaphor, but 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 still, the idea is you were active. It's not an in, it's not an inactive death, like physical death is, where where the corpse just lays there and doesn't have you know, doesn't do anything. No." You are very active, Paul says. In fact, that is the death he, he describes it. You once walked following the course of this world. That's the kind of that's what he means by death. You were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That is death, because you're you're separated from God. And that's the death in trespasses and sins that Paul is saying we've been delivered from, we've been brought out of. God quickens you. He made you alive. So, um, so you're no longer walking according to the prince of the power of the air. You're no longer walking according to the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That's the idea there. In fact, he goes on to say, um, in verse 4, He made us alive together with Christ, So the idea is this, this life, the fact that we've been made alive means that we now, um, we now trust Christ, we follow Christ, we obey Christ, and we do good works. That's, that's the life. You know, the, the death is walking according to the prince of the power of the air and, and the, uh, the ways of this world and so forth. The life is submission to Christ, submission to Christ. And doing good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice there, he uses that same. <coughs> Paul likes the uh, metaphor of walk, anyway. But notice he he starts out in verse one, say, "Here's how you used to walk," and then in verse ten, "Now here's how you walk now." It's you got a different walk because you've been made alive, all right? That that brings us to the second part. We'll just spend a few minutes on this. I spent most of the time on on regeneration. Um, but I told you we're going to talk about two things, regeneration and conversion. All right, regeneration, again, is a sovereign act of God that is imparting life to the human soul. He, he, he makes a, someone who is dead in sins alive in Christ. So, uh, whew, boy, we're about out of time. The second thing is conversion, okay? I'm going to give you two things real quick on that, two aspects of it. Um, number one, Conversion involves repentance and, and we've already, this is going to overlap because we've already been talking about some of this, but conversion involves repentance and secondly, faith. So, repentant, think of repentance in terms of turning from sin, turning away from sin and think of faith as turning to Christ, following Christ, obeying Christ or um trusting christ I had some someone asked me just a couple of days ago I, um i remember how they worded the question but it was something to the effect how would you what's another way of of saying faith you know in order to describe it and i <clears throat> and i said the word that i like to use <laughs> you know, is trust trust it's a great synonym for faith um because a, a lot of time we, we've uh, we've watered down faith so much in our, faith is a great word, obviously, but well, we've just watered it down so much in our modern context that you know, we think of it strictly in terms of, uh, some people do think of it strictly in terms of, of uh, you know, just, just being aware of something, believing something. It's more than that. Biblical faith is to trust, you know, to rely on, to depend upon. So I like the word trust, but... So think of repentance as turning away from sin and faith is turning to Christ, trusting Christ. Those two things are like two sides of the same coin and the coin is conversion, right? Now, here's here's the distinction I wanted to make. Regeneration, a sovereign act of God. We don't do regeneration. Jesus didn't tell Nicodemus... Regenerate. You know, he didn't command him to regenerate. We don't do that. We can't do that. We're incapable of doing that. It's again, just to use the death resurrection analogy, it would be like a dead person raising themselves from the dead. It's not going to happen. Impossibility. Um, we can't do regeneration. It's a sovereign act of God. Conversion, on the other hand, is something we do, and what I mean by that is. It it is it is a way of describing our response or or the the effect of regeneration upon us. So so um, when I don't misunderstand me when I say we do it, I don't mean that we you know it's like it's all in and of ourselves. I don't mean that at all. It's 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 it always comes back to regeneration. It's God that enables us to do it, but it's still us doing it. It's, it's like to use the picture of Lazarus again regeneration would be Christ making Lazarus alive. Conversion might be seen in Lazarus getting out of the tomb because Jesus said so. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And so what does Lazarus do? He gets up and goes out of the tomb. That's conversion. In other words, he's he's turning away from sin. This is the picture. He's leaving the tomb and he's turning to Christ. He's going to Christ. That's conversion. So um, Peter, for example, they, on the day of Pentecost, they, th- they were pricked in their hearts when, P- when Peter preached, and they said, what do we do? And what, what did Peter tell them? Repent, right? Repent and be baptized. What's, so what's, that's conversion. Peter, Peter's saying, now you've got to respond to the gospel that you just heard. Repent and be baptized. That is, forsake sin and follow Christ. Forsake sin and follow Christ. And again, just to be clear, I'm not suggesting we do that under our own strength. We don't at all. We do it because Christ has given us life, because he's regenerated us. Lazarus came out of the tomb because he was made alive. But he did come out of the tomb in obedience to Christ. And every truly regenerate person Um, just like we saw in Ezekiel 36, every truly regenerate person will come to Christ and will follow Christ. So regeneration, sovereign act of God, in in other words, um, we don't have anything to do with that, period, but conversion is our response. God is telling us to do something and we do it. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Forsake sin, follow Christ. Turn from sin, go to Christ. That's the same you know the message that John the Baptist preached, the message that Jesus preached, the message that Peter preached, the message that Paul preached, it's the same message that we gotta preach today when when people ask, What do we do? Repent and believe. I mean, that's that's what we gotta tell them, and that's what they gotta do. Now, I'm not trying to confuse the issue here, but and just raise this question. Can a, can an unregenerate a person who's not regenerate? Can an unregenerate person do this? Repent and believe? Not truly. Yeah. Again, just like R.F. used to say, you can take a corpse and prop it up and paint it up. <laughs> but but you, I don't know what the deal is with corpses tonight. But I mean, you know. <laughs> you know what it. it for the same reason, here's the deal. For the same reason, all, at least the four of y'all, I'm not sure about Bob and Joe, but at least the four of y'all a while ago when I was talking about the guy in the body bag, y'all were doing this. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <coughs> that, <laughs> but, but why were That. But why were y'all doing that? You're saying, oh, that's creepy, that's creepy. Leslie was saying that's creepy. Because the idea of a live person being in a body bag or being in a tomb is just repugnant, right? I mean, it's just unthinkable. It's, well, it's the same way. If God truly saves somebody, the, the tomb is no place for a liar. I mean, a dead person is just fine there. Now, Lazarus was okay there, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, he, he, he wasn't stressing out or anything. He was dead. He was, he, was, he was okay there as long as he was dead. But when he came alive, when Jesus commanded him to life, he came out of there in obedience to the Lord. And that's the way it is with with sinners. If God truly saves, if God regenerates somebody, then you'll see repentance and faith. So, Jesus, again, that's why that John 11 is such a great analogy. Jesus has to call you out of the tomb. And when he does, you come. All that the Father has given me will come to me, Jesus said in John 6. So, that's right. When he calls you by name and says, come come forth, <laughs> we're, we're coming out of there. Amen. All right. Well, let's pray. We'll dismiss. <clears throat> Father, again, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for this time together. Lord, we pray that you uh, en- enable us to meditate on these things. And, Lord, may we just um, stand in awe of you and uh, in your great mercy and your love for us and your power to bring dead sinners to life, to bring rebels into obedience to yourself, and those uh, like ourselves who are deserving of death to, to bring us in and make us family, to make us sons and heirs. Lord, we're, we're thankful. And Lord, we pray, um, give us wisdom in being faithful to calling out to others too, just, just as... You instructed Ezekiel to, to speak to the dry bones. Lord, may we be faithful to speak and pray for your spirit um, to move. And we pray that all these things would bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name, amen.